Right, we are continuing our study of the Baptist Catechism. Uh, specifically, as I say every time, we're using the edition found in the white catechism booklets that we give away here at the church. And tonight, we are going to consider question number 14. And that question is, how did God create man? What does it mean to be a human being? It's a good question. What does it mean to be a human being? What is it that makes us different from other creatures? Why are we different from other creatures? I'm sure you've noticed that there are some radical differences between you and a dog or a cat or a fish. Why is that the case? Why is it that you can think, reason, have a sense of morality, have desires beyond food and drink, have an eternal soul, have dominion over the world, and all the other things that are unique about us as human beings? To answer the question simply, it's because we have been made in the image of God. To be a human being is to be a creature made in the image of God. And that is what our catechism question talks about this evening. Uh, try to remember last month, question 13 talked about God's work of creation in general. And now, question 14, uh, now in question 14, we move to God's highest work of creation, the creation of man. And the big thing that makes man so glorious, so high, so majestic, so unique, is that we are the only creatures made in God's image. So this question isn't dealing so much with the literal how of our, crea of our physical creation. Rather, it's dealing with how God made man different from all other things. And I hope to highlight some basic truths to this evening. Um, most everything that I say is going to be by way of reminder. It'll, it'll be things that you probably already know or have already thought about to some extent, but I hope that thinking on the creation of man will cause you to consider how far we've fallen from that original state. And from there, that your thoughts may be directed to how valuable and glorious our Lord Jesus Christ really is. So may God use this sermon to bless us and remind us that we were made by him and for him. May God use this sermon to remind us that we have fallen from our original state of perfection. And may God use this sermon to remind us of our glorious Redeemer, Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Now with that said, I'm going to pray again. And then we're going to consider our question for this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Sabbath day. And we thank you for another opportunity to gather together as your people to feast on your word. We ask now that you would bless the preacher and use him as your mouthpiece to declare your truth. And we ask that you would bless the hearers. Cause us to hear your voice and heed and obey and believe it. Speak to us by your spirit working alongside the word. And change us. Cause us to love you more. Cause us to value Christ more. Cause us to see ourselves rightly. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Our question this evening, I ask that you would read the answer with me. Question, how did God create man? Answer, God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. All right, let's do it again. Question, how did God create man? 
Answer, God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. All right. I always get a chuckle out of that because I say it every time. That's how I teach my child the catechism, and this always makes me laugh. But as always, let's go through our answer phrase by phrase. The first thing I'd like to point out is that our catechism, both in the question and answer, affirms that God created man. Now, this almost goes without saying. God created all things, and so God created man. Um, He created mankind beginning with our first father, Adam. Now, though we, we all know it, allow me to read now the account of man's creation from Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. This is the word of the Lord. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then... The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God took dust, he took dirt from the ground, formed it into man, personally breathed life into his nostrils, and the man became a living creature, or also living soul, became a living soul. Notice how special the creation of man was. How did God create everything else? God simply spoke them into existence, and then they popped into existence exactly as they ought to be. But here we read something different. We read that God, though he did not have to, took his time with man, if I can say such a thing. He took his time. God was more personal, more intimate when he made man. And this tells us that mankind is very special to God. Mankind is not like the rest of creation. Man is unique. Man was made differently. God has endowed us, as we read and sang in Psalm 8, God has endowed us with a glory and privilege and honor that he has not given to the rest of the creation. God willing, we'll consider more of that later. But from this short passage, it is clear that God created man in the beginning, and all humanity has come from that one man, right? Even Eve was created from his rib so that we would all come from one man. And since we all come from that one man, though it's through ordinary generation, we can rightly say that God has created all of us because God created him. Not only that, but as Psalm 139 tells us, God is the one who stitched us together in our mother's wombs. So in all ways, not just with Adam, but in all ways we can say that God created mankind. As the children's catechism asks in question one, I'm tempted to ask one of the little ones right now, who made you? The answer is God made me. God made Adam and God made every one of us. Brothers and sisters, though this is not the main thrust of the catechism, I want to take a moment and say something to you. There is a wealth of theology and ethics and morality that flows from the simple truth that God made man. Oh, that that God would help us to understand this more. God made us, and that means that we did not make ourselves, as Psalm 100 says. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. And since He made us, that means that we do not own ourselves. This is one of our biggest problems, is we think that we do own ourselves, and we don't. We are His creatures, 
He is the owner. And since we are His creatures, we are subject to Him. He is the authority over us. We do not finally answer to ourselves or even to one another. We are accountable to Him ultimately. Since He made us, we are not free to do as we wish. Rather, we are only free to do as He desires and instructs us. This is part of what it means to be one of His creatures. And since He has made us, oh, that the Lord would help us to see this, we owe Him everything. We owe Him everything. Literally, what do you mean everything? I mean literally everything. We owe Him our affections. We owe Him our allegiance. We owe Him our obedience. We owe Him our devotion. We owe Him our hearts. We owe Him our everything for he has made us we need to get it deep into our hearts that god made man and we need to do our best to declare this deep truth to the world around us right this simple fact is the foundation for everything that we believe and do god is and god made man and that means that he is over man ruler over man lawgiver to man and the final judge of all men If we get this deep into our hearts, that will change many things. And that's why I've been harping on this through through a lot of these catechism questions. This will change many things. It will change how you view your purpose for living. If you wake up every morning with a solid understanding in your heart, I don't own myself. God made me. That will change how you view your purpose in life. It'll change how you interact with others if you say, this isn't just some dude, God made him. That means I have to treat him a certain way because I don't own him. God owns him. It'll change how we view the world and everything that happens in it. God made man. I want you to remember that. I want you to rehearse it to yourselves regularly. God made me. I did not make myself. Moving on, our catechism reminds us that God made man male and female. We just read in Genesis 2, 5 through 7, that God made man from the dust of the earth. But then in Genesis 2, 18, and then in verses 21 through 23, we read this. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And later, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So God made man from the dust of the ground, and then God made woman from the rib of the man. So then, again, God made mankind And he made them male and female. I want to briefly go through a little bit of this. God made mankind male and female for a few reasons. First, God made the woman to be a helper to the man. He says it right there in the text. It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. God made them male and female in order that they would be companions to one another. So that man would not be alone. What a, what a blessing it is to have relationships and families and companionship. This was and is a great blessing to man. And that's one of the reasons why God made them male and female. Second, God made them male and female for the sake of procreation. 
obviously I don't need to get deep into this. This is how nature works. It also shows you why sexual perversions like Pastor Dave was, was praying about are against natural law. Procreation is one of the reasons why God made us male and female. He desired the world to be filled with human beings. And so he made mankind able to reproduce with male and female. Third, God made them male and female, and this is big, and put them together in marriage in order to image forth the future glory of Christ and his church. The man, being the head, protector, and leader of the woman, represents Christ. And the woman, being submissive to the man, represents the church. Real quick, this wasn't just true of Adam and Eve. Everyone here that's married, everyone who's ever been married, including people who never knew God, this is true of them. Marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. Now, nobody knew this until the age of the new covenant came and the apostles declared it to be so. But Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 that this is an old truth that has been brought to light under the new covenant. Real quick, that's what it means when the Bible says something is a mystery. We use that to mean, oh, it's a mystery. It means I don't understand or it's hidden. When the Bible uses mystery, it's the opposite. This used to not be understood, but now we get it because Christ has come. So their marriage to one another, Adam and Eve, male and female, pictures Christ's relationship to his church. He is the head, he leads, he protects, he loves, and what does his church do? Submits to him, loves him. The church was, this is John Gill, the church was taken from his side, so to speak, as he died for us. And the church was formed from him and his work. What a beautiful picture that this is. Now, I'm half tempted to take off on that, but though all this is good and true, the reason why male and female are mentioned in our answer is because of what follows. I just want to take an opportunity and, and, and put some of that out there for you. The big thrust of the catechism is about God making us in his image. And it's stressing that what follows in the answer applies equally to men and women. Both men and women are made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 explicitly states this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So then, mankind, both male and female, are the image of God. So what follows then, the meat of the answer that we're about to spend more time on, applies to every single human being, both male and female. So to continue then, our catechism says God created man, male and female, after his own image or in his own image. What does that mean? What does that mean? Of what does the image of God consist? That's the great question. Well, we know that this does not mean a physical likeness to God. Genesis 1.27 is not teaching us that man physically resembles God. That is nonsense. In fact, fun fact, uh, that's what the Mormons teach. They teach that God has a physical body. After all, their God used to be a man. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. 
their God was a man who became God and he still has a physical body and that we all look like him, right? That is heresy and nonsense. God has no physical body, right? The divine nature has no physicality to it. It, ha- it is immaterial. It is not physical or tangible. God may and, and has in the scriptures, manifests himself in tangible ways, like a burning bush. But his nature is spirit. As Jesus says in John 4.24, God is spirit. Now let's be clear, Jesus Christ is God. He is fully God, and he has a body. But his body is part of his true human nature. His divine nature as the Son of God has no body and is invisible, but his human nature is human. So, of course, it's physical and he has a body. So, again, being made in the image of God is not to be understood as man looking like God in some physical or visible way. As it is written, God is not a man. Numbers twenty-three nineteen. So, what does it mean then? Well, to get to an answer, we need to look to portions of Scripture that speak of man being in God's image. And there are two places in the New Testament that we now turn to in order to get a better understanding of the idea. First, we go to Colossians 3.10. There, Paul's talking about what has happened spiritually to believers. Colossians 3.10. And Paul says this, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Christians, says Paul, are being renewed in knowledge after the image of God. And because of that, we can conclude that the image of God has to do with knowledge. It has to do with knowledge in general and also something of the knowledge of God. Fair enough. Second, we go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. And there, Paul is once again talking about how Christians are to think and behave. And he says, And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Christians have a new self or a new nature, and that self is created after the likeness or image of God. And that image has to do with righteousness and holiness. So the image of God has to do with knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And that is why our catechism says, God created man, male and female, after his own image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. I just wanted to defend the catechism on that, by the way. I just want to flesh that out for a second. But let, let's, let's, let's dive into these three things that our catechism says, or rather four things, and he gave them dominion. First, God created man after his own image in knowledge. Man is a rational being, or at least he's supposed to be. <laughs> that was a joke. Some people are not that rational. But man is a rational being. We are able to think. We are able to know things. We're able to reason and use logic and have memories and learn. You ever notice that other creatures can't do that? At least not like we can. We consider an animal highly trained and very intelligent if it like goes to the bathroom where we want it to go. (laughs) Right? Or like like even like a a, a chimp, it can point at a shape. And we're like, I expect my two-year-old to be able to do that. So yes, some animals can reason and think, but not like us. Not even close. So being made in God's image means that he made us with the ability to think and know. Man has a mind that is 
absolutely unique within the created order. But to get more specific, man was originally created with knowledge embedded into him. Man was created with a sufficient knowledge of God, his character, his will, and his works. Man knew God in the beginning. And, and man knew what God expected of him. Man knew of God's majesty, power, authority, and goodness. Man knew of God's example. God created man with sufficient knowledge to make him fit for obedience to God. God created man with sufficient knowledge to make man accountable to obey, love, and glorify his maker. And you say, what does this have to do with being in the image of God? Well, to be in the image of God means that you are imaging forth something about God. Uh, Please bear with me. Don't understand this in a heretical sense. God made us to be like little gods. Not that we're divine in any sense whatsoever, but that we would be walking around the earth as little, um, somewhat similar replicas of himself. Obviously, we don't have his divine attributes, but that these communicable attributes of God would shine forth in us. So, knowledge images forth God because God is wisdom and knowledge itself. To speak humanly, God thinks. He is a mind. He wills. He is a rational being. And so, to image forth something of himself, he created man as a lesser kind of rational being and placed knowledge and understanding within man so that man might fulfill his calling and glorify God. Second, God created man after his own image in righteousness. Now, righteousness has to do with morality. It has to do with being and doing good as opposed to evil. And man was originally made righteous. He was made morally upright and good. In the beginning, there was no sin in man. Know this. You look around, people say this, why did God make us this way? Well, he didn't. Why did God make us so bad? He didn't. He did not make us sinful. God made man in the image of perfect righteousness. Ecclesiastes 7.29, I recommend you commit this one to memory. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. God made man upright. Though we're sinful now, it was not so in the beginning. Man was once inherently righteous. And listen, if you bristle at that, you're like, man is inherently righteous? Yeah, it's, that's so foreign to us now after the fall that you say, man can't be inherently righteous. Yeah, he was in the beginning. Does that not show you something of your fall and my fall in Adam? Man was made inherently righteous. He was morally perfect inside and out. God created Adam and Eve with perfect knowledge of his moral law. That is, the law summarized in the Ten Commandments was written on their hearts. And they had the ability to perfectly keep it in love and faith toward God. You say they were created with the ability. Again, is this not foreign to us? Yes, we are not born with these abilities, but they were made with these abilities. Now, they obviously also had the ability to disobey and sin against the Lord. But that does not take away from the fact that they knew the law of God in their hearts and that God had created them righteous and with the ability to obey if they so chose. Being made in God's image in righteousness tells us that man is intrinsically moral. 
We are intrinsically moral. That is, we are responsible moral agents. This is why you and I have an innate sense of right and wrong. This is why we intrinsically know that there is a God that we should worship and obey. By the way, the Bible says there's no such thing as a true blue atheist. Everyone knows that God exists. Read Romans 1. Everyone knows that he exists. This is also why we instinct, uh, intrinsically know that we should love our neighbors. You ever wonder why the man-to-man rules in every culture are basically the same? Listen to your parents. Don't lie. Help other people. Don't sleep with people you're not married to. Don't steal. That's, that's why. God made, we intrinsically know that we should love our neighbors. Now, after the fall, some of it is fuzzy. I won't deny that. But we all know the basics of morality without ever needing to be taught. The law is still written on our hearts. We are still moral people, even though we often behave immorally. We have consciences, as Paul says in Romans 2. We have consciences that either accuse or, can, or excuse us. We are moral agents. And because we are moral agents, we are accountable to God and, in, and instinctively know that a day of reckoning with Him is coming for everyone. Being made in righteousness reflects who God is, just like knowledge does. It images forth God because God is righteousness and goodness itself. God himself is the standard. And the fact that we all recognize a moral standard and are accountable to it displays that to the world. Third, God created man after his own image in holiness. Now, this one is a little harder to understand, I think. But I think that it has something to do with man's ability to be in fellowship with God. And I'm leaning heavily on Voss's commentary at this point on the Westminster Larger Catechism, just if you were interested. Holiness has to do with being unique. has to do with being unique. And man was made distinct from all other creatures. And the biggest thing that makes us different from other creatures is that God put man in fellowship with himself. God made man not only physical, but spiritual. We're the only beings that have souls. We are body and soul and not body only like the other creatures on earth. Sorry, all dogs don't go to heaven, right? They they don't have souls. We're the only ones with souls. God created us not just to know about Him. He could have done that with anything. He created us to know Him personally. He created us for fellowship with Himself. And in the beginning, at least for a time, Adam and Eve, man, lived in perfect fellowship with God. Man lived in perfect moral, rather perfect knowledge and moral righteousness before the Lord. Man knew God intimately. God spoke directly to man. There's no mediator. Why? Because there's no sin yet. God spoke directly to man. Again, this is so foreign to us. What do you mean God speaks to men without a mediator? Shows you how far we've fallen. It even seems that God came down to the garden to fellowship with man from time to time. Man imitated the example of God perfectly and submitted to all the holy will of the Lord. Man knew God in a real perfect way in the beginning. 
And because of this holiness of man, man was immortal. Man was created to live forever in this relationship with God. And only sin could bring about death. Only sin could disrupt this holy fellowship. God made us to know him personally. He made us to be with him forever. So mankind has a capacity to know and love God. And this is glorious. No other creature. Oh, you want to know how privileged you are to be a human being? No other creature on earth can know and love the Lord. But we can. By his grace, we can. For this is what he created us to do. And this images forth God, this holiness images forth God, because God is immortal. He is a relational being. He's triune. And he is utterly holy in every way. We show something of who God is because we have immortal souls, can relate to God, and we're created in a higher class than our fellow creatures. Lastly, we're reminded in our catechism that God created man after his own image with dominion over the creatures. We read about this in Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God made man with authority over every single thing on the earth. Under God, man was to be the ruler of creation. As Psalm 8, chapter 8, verse 6 affirms, you, God, you have given him, man, dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So God created man with the capacity and legitimate authority to subdue the earth and use it for good, holy, and righteous purposes. He gave us the ability and authority to use the earth as we saw fit under his law to build culture, advance technology, govern, make civilization, and all the rest. He gave us the authority, in other words, to use the earth for his glory and the good of our fellow men. And this images forth God because God is the true authority over all things. As we sang this morning, he is the sovereign ruler of the skies. He is the king. And man was to display the kingship of God, the rule of God, by ruling well as God's representative to the world. So in summary, God created man to know him, obey him, be accountable to him, have fellowship with him, and govern the world as his representatives. He made us in his image in order that we might be little images of him in the world that display something of what he's like. That was God's purpose for man, and that's why we were created as we were. Now, another question arises that our catechism doesn't address here. Since man has fallen into sin, since we have fallen from this state of perfect knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, are we still the image of God? That's been a question in church history. Are we still the image of God? The answer is a resounding yes. The image of God in us has been marred by sin, but we are still his image bearers. How do you know that? Well, of many texts that I could pull from, James chapter 3, verse 9, written long after the fall, thousands of years after the fall, says this, With it, that is the tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
brothers and sisters, sin has marred the image of God in us, but it is still there. To use John Calvin's illustration, like a cracked mirror that distorts the image it reflects, the mirror nevertheless still reflects something of the image. That's what we are now. Right? We know that God is, but we do not pursue him. We are moral agents and know right from wrong, but now we are immoral and inconsistent and hypocritical. We have moments of righteousness, and we all agree that righteousness is good, but as a whole, each of us are unrighteous. By God's grace, we can still be in fellowship with him, but we are now naturally dead in our sins and have no fellowship with him. We have the ability if he has mercy, but we don't naturally have the ability any longer. So it's still there, but it's distorted. And our dominion is no longer perfect. The natural world and creatures fight and struggle against man, though with much effort we can still subdue it to some degree. We are still the image of God. We are just distorted images. And because we are still God's image bearers, we all have worth, notwithstanding our sinful nature. We are still unique in the created order. We're still worth something. Why? Because God is still God. And His image is still intrinsically valuable. This is the primary reason why we must treat our fellow human beings with respect, dignity, and love. Because they bear the image of God. And so, to disrespect, show prejudice, show malice, or any other wicked thing to our fellow man is actually to despise the God in whose image they have been made. Even after the fall, all men still have value because God is still God. How powerful is He? Oh, nothing you do will affect who He is. But brothers and sisters, we distorted image bearers need restored by God. We need the busted mirror fixed. We need renewed. We need to be made new. And this is why each of us so desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, the true man, the true man, the visible image of the invisible God, came into the world to live, die, and be raised from the dead in order to restore his people to what they should have been. He came to cleanse us from our sins and give us his righteousness in order that we once again might have fellowship with God. He came that by faith in Him, we might begin to live righteously and morally and more faithfully reflect the image of God who made us and saved us by Christ. He came to change our hearts so that we might exercise our authority in a way that honors God. He came to restore the knowledge of God to us so that we might know and obey and please Him as we ought. Jesus Christ came into the world to save us from our sins. But listen, that means much more than saving us from the penalty for our sins. It doesn't mean less than that. But it means more than that. He came to restore us in every way so that we might be true human beings once again as God made us. I remember one commentary I was reading 
uh, referred to Christians as the new humanity. Why? Because we've been restored. He said this, and this does not permit any kind of prejudice against unbelievers. But this man went on to say, Christians are the true humans. Everyone else is living something less than a true human life. But because we've been restored to fellowship with God, have our morality restored, have our abilities restored to us in Christ, we are the true humanity now. That's what Christ came to do. He came to restore us to what we were in the beginning so that we might fulfill God's calling to man. And how did he do it? Glory upon glory. He did it by becoming one of us. How do you you restore men? By becoming one. This is amazing. By becoming a man in order to redeem fallen men. By being everything that we should have been so that one day, by His grace, we can be everything that we ought to be. Truly, Jesus Christ is the Savior and Redeemer of sinners. He saves us from the wrath of God and restores us to our original state. And all of this by grace alone, through faith alone, in Him alone. Jesus Christ has crucified our old man with Himself in order that we might put on the new man who is being conformed more and more to the image of God. And one day, one day that process will be made complete when we, with our physical eyes in the resurrection, see the Lord and are sealed in the perfect and righteous state in which man was originally made. All glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ. He has done it. And He will finish what He has started in us. So brothers and sisters, my fellow Christians, bear His image well. Bear it well. You were made to know God. And in Christ you can know Him. So know Him. You were made to walk uprightly before Him and display His righteousness. And Christ has renewed you. So do it. You were made to exercise your authority and abilities in a God-honoring way. And Christ has changed you. So use your creativity and your authority well. You were made to know God in a true and intimate relationship. So know Him and love Him through faith in Jesus Christ and walk daily with Him. May God grant us grace and conform us more and more to His image. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. God, as we consider as we consider the perfection in which you made man, it breaks our hearts to see how far we've fallen, but yet in Christ we have hope for he has renewed man. Help us to value Him and esteem Him as we ought. To sing His praises every day. To thank Him every day. Triune God, we praise You for Your mercy on us. Help us to live in Your image. Help us to be what we ought. And we know that by grace we will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.